everyone, and welcome back to Afternoon Chai Sessions. Today, we're going to be talking about microaggressions. So hello, Uma. What was your high for this week? Hi, everyone. My high for this week was that Taylor's version of Fearless came out, and I can finally stream it again. So it's basically 2009, and I'm very happy. <laughs> what about you, Anjali? An awesome choice, honestly. I actually have been listening to, but um, I'd say my high for this week was spending time with my cousin who recently moved to the same city that you and I live in. So it's been really cool getting that experience. Yay, that's so nice. I've been seeing all of your stories. <laughs> so, okay, diving into our topic for today, it's something that we've wanted to talk about for a while, and it's definitely another personal episode, but I think it's an important conversation to be had. Definitely agree. And I think this is also something that we've talked about extensively with each other, um, especially because some of the experiences that we have are consistent with one another, too. Uh, but first, Uma, can you go ahead and define what a microaggression is? Sure. So a microaggression, according to the Oxford Dictionary, is a statement, action, or incident regarded as an instance of indirect, subtle, or unintentional discrimination against members of a marginalized group, such as a racial or ethnic minority. I feel like the keywords in this definition are indirect, subtle, and unintentional. Um, I think microaggressions highlight how deeply rooted racism is in our society because they're unintended acts of discrimination. And I think it's also so important to recognize that both of us have a lot of social privileges that many of our peers do not. And we're only gonna be talking about our individual experiences with microaggressions, being brown first-gen women in America, but microaggressions can vary tremendously across the board. Right, exactly. Like when we were planning this, um, we first reflected on our own experiences and it felt like we were just repeating some of the points that we discussed during our Growing Up in Brown in America episode. But because microaggressions are subtle acts of discrimination against minorities and we are Indian American women, um, we can only speak about our personal experiences, of course, so there is bound to be overlap in our conversation about microaggressions and our conversation about growing up brown. They're just intertwined. Yeah, and I think many of the microaggressions we've experienced are related to our first-gen immigrant perspective, um, you know, like people questioning how American we are, where we're from, the languages we speak, all of that, you know, quote, fun stuff. <laughs> So fun. <laughs> um, oh, well, anyway, I think because so often the microaggressions we experience are related to our experiences as first-gen Asian immigrants, um, we can't have this conversation without talking about the model minority myth and Claire Kim's theory of racial triangulation. I really recommend reading Claire Kim's 1999 paper. The It's called The Racial Triangulation of Asian Americans. We're only summarizing like a small part of it. Um, I had to read it for school and it changed the way I looked at the world. So highly recommend. Um, Anjali, do you want to define the model minority myth and I'll define the theory of racial triangulation? Yeah, so model minority myth is often discussed in reference to Asian Americans who are generally able to gain academic, economic and cultural success um, in America while also being people of color. And this is a descriptor that white America has utilized to invalidate the experiences of other people of color like Black, Indigenous, and Latinx communities who are facing various systemic issues that we do not have to face and are, you know, therefore less likely to be able to gain success in the same way as Asian Americans. And this creates so many issues. Um, 
one, it's an obvious divide between different people of color. And two, you know, it utilizes heavily ignorant stereotypes of the Asian community. And three, I think it, you know, emphasizes this idea that the Asian community is a monolith when it clearly is not. And four, it provides an out so that people with privilege do not have to sit down and understand these systemic issues that have been and continue to be at play. Yep. And I'm going to read Kim's definition of racial triangulation and bear with me because it's a bit long and jargony. Um, So racial triangulation occurs by means of two types of simultaneous linked processes. One, process of relative valorization, whereby dominant group A, which Kim identifies as white Americans, valorizes subordinate group B, Asian Americans, relative to subordinate group C, which Kim identifies as Black Americans, on cultural and or racial grounds in order to dominate both groups, but especially the latter. And secondly, processes of civic ostracism, whereby dominant group A, white Americans, constructs subordinate group B, Asian Americans, as immutably foreign and unassimilable with white Americans on cultural and or racial grounds in order to ostracize them from the body politic and civic membership. So it was really long, but basically to tie this into our conversation about microaggressions, Kim is saying that in American society, where the dominant group is white Americans, Asian Americans are considered both foreign, quote unquote, and model minorities. So Anjali and I have felt that sentiment reflected in the types of microaggressions we've faced because um, they often highlight how other or foreign we are relative to white Americans. Yeah, and some general examples that we've experienced include um, you know, non-Indians doing Indian accents, asking where you, you know, quote, really from, doubting our ability speaking and writing in English, anything to do with yoga, uncomfortable questions about religion, assuming that we're good at math or science, questions about arranged marriage, you know, Starbucks employees not wanting to figure out how to pronounce our names. The list is endless. Just keeps going on and on. What's really sad is that we grew up in different states with different kinds of brown communities and we've had such similar experiences. I also think there's nothing wrong with asking questions about different cultures. Obviously, that's how you learn, but microaggressions occur when the tone that accompanies those questions is inherently meant to ostracize. And also, if the microaggressions are, you know, coming from a place of not really actually wanting to learn, too, I think that um, changes the experience as well. And I think it's also really difficult to talk about microaggressions with people who have never experienced them. And when I'm trying to describe microaggressions to white people in my life, the phrase I tend to use is intent versus impact. I love the phrase intent versus impact. I think having this conversation with people is difficult because sometimes they just get defensive. Um, like they get more, they're more focused on explaining that they mean well, that they forget to think about how regardless of their intent, they still hurt the other person. Um, so I guess that's a good segue into sharing some of the microaggressions that we've personally gr- experienced growing up. Mm-hmm. I definitely experienced this a lot in school, um, definitely in like middle school and high school. And some of the most prominent memories of mine are from interactions with teachers, actually. Um, Like two of my white teachers used to consistently mix me up with the sole other Indian girl in my class. Um, 
even if we looked completely different and sat on opposite sides of the classroom like I literally had purple highlights and they still mixed us up and um, I used to get so angry about it but I think I just gave in and stopped fighting it and I really wish I didn't honestly like, like I was saying it's scary and sad how similar of an experience I had growing up to you like it's just it's not okay that like they're so similar um I went to a large public school and in my graduating class of up over 500 there were I think 15 South Asian students so we were constantly mixed up and it's just very dehumanizing when teachers and peers you've grown up with can't remember your face each one of us have our own identity and experiences and those differences were just constantly erased like for example I think we both have a lot of mixed feelings about our names um my first name has always been an issue for people and I've chosen to make it easier for them. Like my Starbucks name is Angela because I don't feel like dealing with having to spell it out and then being disappointed when I see that they got it wrong anyways. And I also used to teach and tutor kids growing up and I tell them to call me Coach Ange or Coach Ange or Angie or something which is so far off from my name. Things like that because I could see that the kids were struggling too. But I've been realizing how useless that is because I'm putting a limitation on how capable I think these adults, but also these kids are at learning. And it just makes me think like if I correct them and then they meet another Anjali at some point in life, that Anjali would have to deal with that same anxiety, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I have an easier first name. So also it's just more known because Uma Thurman exists. So like during roll call, people would say Uma because they could say it and then they would pause really uncomfortably and then at one point as a way to counter any awkwardness that strangers would feel when they couldn't say my name I started a joke about how difficult my last name is to pronounce before they could say anything kind of like a defense mechanism and it wasn't until I heard Uzo Duba and Hassan Minaj's like like conversations about their names and how people put in the effort to learn Eurocentric long names that I realized how much I'd personally internalized the Western perspective of my own name. I also realized I was like overcompensating for people instead of standing my own ground. So like I understand and I'm aware that encountering names that aren't I guess like mainstream is difficult but and I struggle with long names as well but I would prefer people say like Uma and then very casually say, how do I say your last name? Because it's the pause that highlights that you're different or somehow like quote unquote, not normal. And there's nothing wrong with, again, asking question and learning. It's just about, are you making the other person feel like they're foreign or not normal? Exactly. And um, also, you know, when it comes to pronunciation, I think that from a young age, I started introducing myself as Anjali rather than Anjali mostly because I thought it was still closer to the real pronunciation in comparison to the common Anjali or Anjali or whatever that I get Um, but it's another instance where I chose to make it easier for the people around me so I've been thinking about changing how I introduce myself from Anjali to Anjali Um, even though it's a slight difference it means something you know and yeah, I, I just think it's kind of funny because when I am interacting with Indians, they'll use the right pronunciation, but there's just a stark contrast with anyone else I meet in life. Okay, I definitely say your name differently depending on who I'm talking to. <laughs> I think I switch between Anjali and Anjali, but 
if I'm talking to like my parents and I'm talking about you, I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm like gonna hang out with Anjali. But then if I'm talking to our mutual friends, I would be like, oh yeah, like I hung out with Anjali the other day. <laughs> and it's something that I've done. Um, and it's a lot with other Indian friends. And it's, mm-hmm. I don't, I think it's like, call, as long as we call ourselves out and stop, I think that's what matters. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway, to keep this conversation moving, um, another thing that we've talked about is how often we were the only South Asian student in a classroom and how that experience changed our educational experiences. Yeah, like um, when I was in 12th grade, we were reading A Passage to India, and I honestly have negative opinions about the book, but um, I was the only Indian person in that class, and it was horrible. I was called on every other day. And when I say every other day, I literally mean every other day to talk about my experience um, being brown and how it related to traditional Indian customs shown in the book. And it was hard because I already struggled. And like you all know, I have can honestly continue, um, continue to struggle with um, feeling connected to my Indian heritage. So now there was all this pressure to represent India the best way I could to all of these white kids who didn't know anything about it and to my teacher. Um, And the weird thing is that my teacher didn't think twice about it. And I know he just thought he was giving me space to educate my peers and that I was welcoming it. Um, And some of my classmates even asked me, you know, why I didn't drop the class, but there was no other option, you know, like I had to take the class to graduate. Uh, But I still feel so irritated with myself for not bringing it up to someone or talking to my teacher directly. the thing is, is this scenario is just the most evident in my memories because it was reoccurring and not that long ago. But I can think of so many teachers who have done similar things and other people in life too that continue to do so now. This trend of having minority students teach needs to stop. I mean, in my state's sixth grade history curriculum, for example, we're supposed to learn about ancient India along with other ancient civilizations. And for whatever reason, my middle school decided that ancient India wasn't important enough to be taught in our regular history class. So it was taught by our English teacher. And my English teacher decided that because I was Indian and I was the only Indian in my classroom, I should teach the class about the caste system. And she even asked me to go to a different class, English period, to teach about the caste system to that class as well. And the saddest part about all of this was that I was so excited. I thought that my teacher trusted me with this responsibility. She pulled me aside one afternoon to ask and I felt so special because like I said before, I was a huge nerd. I thought this was a great opportunity of being recognized as a smart student or something. Um, In hindsight, it's very clear to me that it was just another way of making me feel like someone foreign. And I also had to teach myself about the caste system before I was able to teach the class because as someone who grew up here, I had no idea about ancient India and where the caste system comes from and stuff like that. So it's just like bad teaching practice all around. You're also in middle school. Like, (laughs) why aren't these teachers that have teaching credentials like knowledgeable? Anyways, but um. So when you said, you know, this trend of having minority students teach needs to stop, I was thinking about the question that I think people always ask is like, what is the alternative? How do you think people should be able to learn? Okay, firstly, this question makes me really angry (laughs) Um, because we're not asking white students to teach ancient German history. Um, If teachers are able to learn European history and teach it to the class, 
then I feel like it's part of their responsibility to learn about the history of other civilizations as well. Um, also, world history can't be focused on just Europe because obviously the world is not just Europe, but we're veering into a whole different topic. And yeah, so I guess to go back to our topic about microaggressions and stuff, I think earlier you mentioned something about how you used to feel angry. I think as a kid, I was too oblivious to become angry. Like I just didn't realize what was happening. And as I got older and started reflecting, then I became very angry. And that's harder to process because it's kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm questioning a lot of my childhood like perspectives and memories. What was your experience like, Anjali? Mm, well, my, my mom always taught me to pick my fights wisely uh, and to keep my head down about a lot of things. And I feel like a lot of immigrant children are taught that, especially in the Asian community. And I think that made it so that I didn't want to make a fuss about these types of things, even if I was able to recognize that it was wrong. And even if my classmates were recognizing the bad behavior as well. But then it ended up being that I just like never picked a fight, which I think isn't a great experience either. I mean, some people aren't necessarily like inherently confrontational, you know, so like some, I don't know. Also, the idea of your mom saying pick your fights wisely reminded me of this like Hassan Minaj quote that really resonated with me. It was like something he said, um, you know how after you'd record those Patriot Act episodes, he would like do like an audience Mm -hmm. Q&A. And he said something like the big difference between our generation and our parents' generation is that they're always trying to survive, but he said, I'm trying to live. And I feel like we can't live if we're not being authentic to ourselves and it's going to be a very long and difficult journey for children of immigrants like just the other day i was listening to a higher learning episode um that's the podcast that rachel Lindsay and van lathan run um and they had ego Wodem on the show and she said that even though she's on a huge show, she's an SNL cast member and she's been on the cast for a while. Um, they, and then in the title like sequence, like they announce her name with the right pronunciation every single week. And yet people still think her name is pronounced ego. And it's just so disrespectful. And I feel like we as children of immigrants, like we'll have to keep advocating for our names and for people to respect our identities as loudly as we can for a very long time. Gosh, I 100% agree. And also I love that Hassan quote, by the way, because I think it hits the nail on the head. Um, And also I think that calling out microaggressions is one of the ways that we can advocate for ourselves. And it sucks that that responsibility can sometimes fall on us, but I want to live in a world where our differences don't define us and that these, and where these things are, things to be celebrated always instead you know I think we're moving towards that but I don't know if we'll ever fully be able to see that because change is really really slow (laughs) true (laughs) not to get depressing (laughs) (laughs) okay last thing before our conversation comes to a close I also want to add that like something we haven't discussed yet is that microaggressions can also be unintentionally committed by people of color towards other minorities um Mm -hmm. and Anjali and I were discussing how that's the way that the model of minority myth plays out because it inherently sets minorities against each other 
It's really unfortunate because when we're when you're growing up in a place where microaggressions are normalized behaviors, it's kind of hard to check yourself. So I think it's just super important to educate yourself and constantly be like checking and to like go through your thought process and see if an opinion that you have or the actions that you're taking are rooted in racism. And that's obviously like something that's like a learning um, curve and or like it's something that you do as you grow and like live through life. Like it's something you're gonna have to be doing constantly. Exactly. And um, to conclude our conversation, you know, microaggressions are not about whether or not the thing that someone says is actually correct or relevant to, you know, my life. Um, it's about like the assumptions that you make and place upon me without knowing who I am, the uncomfortable scenario where I have to educate you if you if I didn't agree to do so, having to represent my entire culture to you and you just not listening to me. The universal that was, you. Yeah, that was really powerfully put, dude. Um I feel like I always find it therapeutic discussing serious topics like these because it helps me like reflect and kind of like process my feelings and feel like, oh, I'm not alone in feeling the way that I did. So thank you everyone for listening to today's episode. As always, we'll be back in two weeks. Topic TBD. (laughs) So yeah, bye.